Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. and welcome to Paradise Island. This is Under Consultation, a huge episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and we've tried unprofessionalism, so now it's time for a change. And looking for something else to be smug about... I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 10th of December 1997 and there's no change in any chart, as Tomb Raider 2 is top of the video game chart, that ensemble cover of Perfect Day is still top of the pops, and Alien Resurrection remains top of the UK box office. It's a film we've talked about a bit before, we talked about it when it featured on Games Master, we briefly chatted about it in previous episodes. I think it's fair to say that we both like the Alien series. For some movies, even love it. I would certainly say so. Uh, When we last spoke about it as well, I said that I would try and watch the movie before episode three. I did not succeed in that, but I did watch it over the weekend in preparation for episode four. So I now have an in-context review of Alien Resurrection, a film I have not seen for a good 10 plus years. Well, it was certainly made in 1997. It, uh, it uh, reeks of being made in 1997. I think it's one of the film's biggest problems. It was made in 1997. However, and this kind of struck me as I was watching it, had it been made one year later, it would have been so much worse because it would have been made in a true post-Scream world and we would have had Alien's version of Scream. Aliens using a voice changer. Just that guy that yeah. does the Scream voice just going... <laughs> Or there would have been a character that would say, well, you know, in these sorts of situations, these are the characters that are usually to die next. I found this term from ancient Earth history. It was called video nasties. All that sort of shit, yeah. So I think it would have been so much worse, but it's so stylized as a movie. Annoyingly so, like no shot lasts longer than 30 seconds. It's unfortunate as well because... 
love the plot. I think the setup is great. I think Sigourney Weaver is really, really great in it as well. And she seems to have like really enjoyed doing this version of Ellen Ripley because this is not Ellen Ripley. Ellen Ripley is dead. This is a clone of Ellen Ripley that is in part also alien DNA. So she is inhabiting a new character while also having elements of her old character. And I think she's really enjoying that and she's getting to she's getting to have a lot of fun with it. The direction is what does my head in. That and its its script is is far too Whedon-esque for my taste. But the direction is overbearing. Basically, I think what I wanted, Ash, was I wanted more more Ellen Ripley and more Brad Dourif. I mean, that's just in life. That's not even to do with this film. I think so. I mean, what I really wanted, I wanted more scenes of Brad Dourif flirting with a xenomorph. Like, I wanted that that relationship to be one that we just track throughout the entire movie. See, I think I'm a bit different from you because I like the basic idea of the story. I like the idea of Ripley being clone number eight. You know, it's it, she's, but she's also not quite human. I think the story concept is great. I think the script is a bad example of Whedon. Mm-hmm. I love the work of Jean-Pierre Jeunet. I actually really, really like the look that he brings to this film by bringing his crew on board. I love the cast that he brings with it. I actually would love to see him make an alien movie that one wasn't getting constantly dicked around with budget-wise by the studio, and two, wasn't a Whedon script. I think if, if you're unaware of like the history of Alien Resurrection, you might be surprised to learn the production was terrible, which is a bit of a running theme with Alien productions, with the exception of the first two, which were broadly fine. But pretty much from three onwards, everything has just been a different variation of shit show. I mean, Alien Resurrection, uh, Jean-Pierre Jeannot was not the first choice. He was actually at least the fourth, because also there was Danny Boyle. I'd have loved to have seen Danny Boyle's take on this. Peter Jackson, Brian Singer, and then Jean-Pierre. He was off the back of The City of Lost Children, which you can see the aesthetic similarities and is an amazing movie completely off its face i was gonna say you can see the connections as well like in certainly in style oh absolutely and he was approached about the film and his initial response is i don't want to do this go away leave me alone let me stay over here and do my french films in a french place but he flew over to america he met sigourney weaver Weaver was kind of like a supporter and because, I mean, she was coming back to do the film on her own terms. So anyone that would work with her, not just make this a retread, she would like. She liked Jean-Pierre. She was often in his corner going, no, screw them complaining about money. You make what you need to make. They're going to make their money back. He was warned off by previous directors. David Fincher called him when he went out to America for like one of the first couple of meetings and just said, don't do it. Alien 3 was terrible. It was the worst production I've ever done. It was a nightmare on set. Do not do this. But he did do it. It's almost like the uh, the, the warnings within an alien movie itself. Do not breed these aliens. Disaster will come your way. Fox wanted him to make kind of, I guess, a studio movie. The director, unsurprisingly, wanted to make a Jean-Pierre Jeunet movie, and I think he did his best. And I do wonder how much of what you said about the direction is not the direction, it's actually the edit. I think it's part and parcel, because, like, it, you know, as we were saying with Amelie, 
you can see the the camera move choices that he makes are also there within Amelie as well. Like some of those things you can't really work around it when it comes to an edit. But it was also, you know, cut to shreds, death of a thousand cuts. It was a script that was changing every other day and like you know had different endings had different beginnings then it had a different ending then had a different beginning like one of the third acts was going to be completely set on earth and we were going to have like the setup for alien 5 which would then be placed on earth and it was an ever-changing thing that I, I think you know regardless of my feelings towards his actual presentation and his actual style i really do think that the fact he got a movie that is complete as it is is a miracle it's a more complete movie than alien 3 Absolutely. it has a more consistent tone going throughout even if that tone isn't always to our taste you mentioned the multiple endings there were at least five all set on earth in different places there was uh, one in a scrapyard in post-apocalyptic Paris. There was another that was in a snowy woodland. There was another that was in a hospital. There was another that was in a desert. I was looking, actually, because somewhere around here, I have a bound script that I got way back in one of the memorabilia shows. This was before Alien Resurrection had actually come out, and it was one of the earlier Whedon drafts. I think it had the desert confrontation in it. Mm. It had the desert confrontation with the newborn. The newborn in this movie, spoilers for a movie from 1997, uh, meets its end on the ship. And in actually one of the more disturbing scenes in a film that has a fair few is sucked intestines first out of a small hole in the side of the ship. And the more it's sucked out of the ship, the more human its screams become, which it's a terrible design on that creature. But that moment is beautifully executed it, it's really well done as an as an example of i'm glad that this movie did not get made one year later that death sequence is also used in jason x yeah. and in that moment the character as she's being pulled out says this really sucks <laughs> just imagining the newborn alien going well yeah <laughs> exactly yeah because once Scream was a hit, any horror movie that came out afterwards was like, hmm, but what if we also did Scream? That's that's kind of what you know, one of Jason X's big problems is. But yeah, that ending was what was ended up with. There was some extra footage shot where they would actually end up back on Earth. That was included in the special edition that was on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, it's not the director's cut because as far as the director's concerned, the version that was released in theatre is his cut or was as close yeah. as it was ever going to get to it. Which is why it also feels like it's one of the more complete Alien movies because all of the other ones have got very distinct director's cuts. Like those are ones where like 20th Century Fox hacked it to pieces and put it out there. And the director was like, eh, that's not quite what I was going for. But this is like, no, that's pretty much what I wanted. The endings changing all the time was as a result of budget cuts. So it's okay, like, Big ending on Earth. No, we need to cut money. Okay. Slightly smaller ending on Earth. No, we need to cut some money. Okay. We're still definitely on Earth, but we're really keeping the budget as low as possible and we're going to shoot it inside. No, we still need to cut some money. Okay. It gets sucked out of a hole in the spaceship again. Like one of the other endings involved the newborn biting cow. Uh, cow's an android. Spoilers again and uh, getting blood inside the newborn that was magnetic. That bit doesn't make sense. That is some bad script writing because they're nowhere... Like, androids in the alien universe have milk. Mm -hmm. That's that's fairly common. You know, they've, they've got kind of like a dairy substitute flowing through their veins. Nowhere has it ever been said or implied that it was magnetic. 
but the android blood being inside the alien would allow them to use a giant kind of um, scrapyard magnet to pull it up and then, boom, uh, bolt through the head, stuff like that. Big action sequence ending. And of course, by having a giant magnet, it's kind of going, hey, big industrial machinery. You remember aliens, right? You liked aliens. Yeah, exactly. So actually, in some ways, I think I prefer the being sucked out of a tiny hole into space and its harrowing nature. I don't have the same issue with you as the direction. I think the look is great. The scene where Brad Dourif is trying to make out with the alien, really amazingly shot and put together. a masterful scene, and it is all Dourif. It's all Dourif, and it's all the puppet, because, of course, yeah. while there are CGI aliens in this movie... And some of them look terrible. They're fine for the time. The, swim- the swimming one. Even the swimming one was fine for the for time. Its time. Yeah, it hasn't aged well, but in 1997, it looked fine. But yeah, when he's acting opposite that puppet, it's great because there is something visceral for him to, I guess, maintain dome contact with. Not so much eye, dome contact. Other scenes like uh, where the um, abductee gets the chest burster, like he knows he's going to die and the way he's kind of uses that final sacrifice. When the general gets killed and actually picks bits of his own brain out of his head, he lives long enough to hold his own brain. That is a great performance from Dan Hedaya as well, who is a very much just, I am bad guy. I am corporate bad guy. Here is all my corporate bad guy sayings. It's like an action figure with a voice box. Yeah, it's a beautiful performance. He is, he is the corporate scumbag and actually gets an on-screen death, unlike Paul Reiser, who didn't in Aliens. Uh, well, that alien was really mad about him. Oh, oh, golf clap. <laughs> Honestly, I watched it back and I'm probably going to watch it again in the near future because I've got a hankering to do um, a full watch through from Alien all the way up to Covenant. Uh, just before we get into the magazine, a couple of little bits of extra news here. Black Sabbath played their first show with the original lineup since 1978 on the 4th of December. And on the 7th of December, Jeremy Beadle presents his final You've Been Framed. And that's not the only final we've got here, because two days later, the final episode of Soldier Soldier aired. They've only got their music career to fall back on now, until Game of Thrones happens. (laughs) Uh, But Ash, before we get into the show itself, what's going on in the magazine? Well, this news article is one I've kept aside just for you, because it's titled, Spice Up Your PSX. Is this what you really, really want? It's the Spice Girls game. What red-blooded male in his right mind couldn't resist the chance of getting his joypad hand on the Fab Five Spice Girls this Christmas? Sony are obviously hoping that no one will be able to resist as they've become the latest in a long line of companies who've signed up the girls to help promote their gear. Spice World is the name of the game and it'll be out by Christmas. You get to see exclusive video footage of the girls at play, along with music tracks and interviews. It goes a little further than just video and music though. You can make up your own Spice Girls tracks by fiddling with the songs that are provided on the disc. Or why not put the girls through their paces and choreograph their dance routines? The mind really does boggle, doesn't it? The game has been released to coincide with the hype from the Spice movie and the inevitable Christmas single. If you want to escape Spice fever this year, we suggest you spend the festive period with the relatives in Mongolia. I mean, this is the last one. This is our last Christmas with the Spice Girls as, as the, the huge players that they are. And we've got an album, we've got a video game, and we've got a movie uh, just around the corner because that will be a box office number one for us in just a couple of weeks' time. Good evening and welcome to Games Master, where given our desert island location, we often have to catch our own dinner. 
Helena and Leanne bring the bait, I bring my rod, but the girls are far from impressed with my puny tiddler. My favourite thing about this opening is the performances by Helena and Leanne. It works on two levels. They look so unimpressed at quite the bad joke that we've got here, but also in character are suitably unimpressed because of Dom's tiny tiddler. Basically, this is a fishing joke. So I'm there for it. It's again, though, it is Dom self-deprecating because despite the fact he is trapped on this desert island with two lovely girl Fridays, he's going, I'm fat and I've got a small penis. Even in his own mind, girls are repulsed by him. But yet he brags about having nothing but sexual relations with girls. He's a very complex character, is Dominic Diamond. Oh, there's layers and layers. I mean, by the way, Joss Whedon could not write a character this good. <laughs> anyway, let's head on over to the Girl Fridays to find out what's coming up on this episode. Phil Campbell and Christian Daly dribble uncontrollably in Worldwide Soccer 98. But we begin with an event we call... Oi, bloke, get off my half-pipe. Uncontrollable dribbling. Well, Alien Resurrection is number one at the box office, I guess. Yeah, there is that. I particularly love the title, Oi, bloke, get off my half-pipe. There's been a lot of, like, the Oi, blokes. We had them in last series as well, and we've had them pretty much every one this far. Get off my half-pipe might be my favourite one thus far. It's a very nuanced and layered joke because there's a lot of different ways you can take it, only some of which involve drugs. But let's get into that first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Speaking as a large fluting head, I've never found skateboarding much to my taste. But even I can appreciate the grungy thrills of the arcade title Top Skater. Stripping aboard a real skateboard interface, players can execute a huge variety of tricks and moves that make the real skateboarding seem tame in comparison. Points are awarded for each trick, which are graded A, B, C, and so on. In addition, combos can be constructed by performing a number of tricks in quick succession. Each of my three contestants has one minute to earn as many trick points as possible. Right then, let's hit the halfpipe. Games Master's intro here seems a little bit off with what we've known about Games Master in the past, which is that he has sort of done everything. We've known him to be a rapper on the streets. He has definitely done surfing. He's definitely done skiing. He's done quite a lot of water sports. However, in this intro, he's like, I'm a giant head in the sky, and therefore I cannot do a skateboard. I don't know. I can see him doing some of the other stuff just being a giant head, but you need to grab things with skateboarding. You need to kind of, you know, grab the edge of the board and do your, your kick flips and, and stuff like that. He'd have been all right on the bodyboard, like the, the character that's in this game. Oh, that gets... In fact, yeah, but that also would not actually be skateboarding. <laughs> no, well, no, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Top Skater, though, this is one of those beautiful, like, gimmick arcade machines, you know, that we had with Alpine Surfer and Alpine Racer and all this sort of stuff, where you have got an actual skateboard that you are riding and, you know, click kicking up and stuff to do tricks and that. It's kind of notable for two things, really. Without this game, we might not have Crazy Taxi because it's the same lads and he basically used a lot of what he learned on Top Skater to make Crazy Taxi. And actually, when you watch the game, you're like, God, that looks familiar. What you're thinking is Crazy Taxi. And two, it directly influenced the Tony Hawk series. Including the Tony Hawk's Let's Have a Skateboarding Peripheral for Home Consoles bit. 
Which, to be honest, this arcade game skateboard controller definitely works better than that home controller did. Very much so, yeah. That was not a home run for Activision. Absolutely right on the developer, Kenji Kano. You can tell he's going to go on to make something like Crazy Taxi because he's sat here with the skateboard game going, but what if we put a surfer in there? Yeah, And what if we put a bodyboarder in there? And what if everything was soundtracked by Pennywise? I mean, do you like Pennywise? Because I (laughs) hope so if you're going to play this game. Because you have no less than one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Pennywise tracks in there. You actually have an entire album. And the reason they chose it is because they thought punk rock was both the most appropriate genre for the skateboarding theme and the best choice to excite players. Also, some members of the team were fans of the group to begin with. Actually makes a heck of a lot of sense. And we see that in the Tony Hawk series. Like they really lean into that rock metal and pop punk scene you know with a bit of primers thrown in there because that is what the scene was you know uh, listening to and it just it totally fits pennywise is a tonal fit for top skater in this oddly in the same way how offspring was a total fit for crazy taxi it's really nice to get licensed music that lines up with the property it's in i'm trying to remember which tony hawks it was it might have been three i know it was a ps2 one where the opening video was Ace of Spades by that's Motorhead. Three. Yeah, that's Tony Hawk's 3. Which is my personal favourite of the series. It was my first Tony Hawk's game that I really properly played, like to any real degree. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. I don't think I was ever particularly good at it, but I loved it. Oh, I had one cracking weekend where I maxed out every single character, completed like, you know, the game with every character, maxed out all of their scores unlocked all of the bonus characters, maxed out all of their scores, including the Neversoft Eye, who starts with one on everything. Amazing. I remember the Neversoft Eye. It's a freaky little character design, but a welcome one. It was a really fun one to unlock. I would love to have a go on this game now. Sadly, yeah. I don't think our friends at Hog have it, but I just this game looks like so much fun. It is genuinely one of those games that only really works in the arcade, as shown by the attempts by Tony Hawks to bring it into the home market with their weird controller. I just want to play it now because I can't remember if I would have played it at the time, but I'm fairly certain I'd have been crap at it. However, as crap as I might be at it now, I think I'd enjoy it more, especially if it was on free play. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to be like Aki that we find out later on while playing. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this would have been, I'd have been so attracted to this if I'd have seen it in an arcade at the time, but would have been terrible at it. But I guarantee you, I'd have put quid after quid after quid just to A, hear the tracks, and B, just because it's a skateboarding game. And I was into skateboarding uh, at this period of time. Uh, and particularly when I get to my teenage years, I massively get into skateboarding and the whole and the scene and everything. So yeah, I'd have been so attracted if I'd have seen this. I wouldn't have needed an attract mode. I'd have just been drawn to it. But the bare bones of the challenge is you've got a minute, you perform tricks, you build combos, highest score wins and combos we will soon learn are the key to your success here so please welcome our three talented yet abysmally dressed contestants Ryad Don H Naito and Akai Inui okay Ryad uh, first of all you've got one of those piercings there mm-hmm. is it a problem when you go through airports or that does that set up metal I'm detection I'm not actually sure I've never tried yet to uh, be honest probably, probably don't let you leave the country now yeah, do they uh, let's move on to you, H. Hi. Talk us through your outfit. Where, where did you pick up this fantastic gear from? <laughs> Secret. <laughs> Was it expensive? Did it cost you a lot of money? No, 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 no. Not expensive. A couple of quid? Yeah. 
couple of quid. Mm. And finally, Aki. Yeah. Now, this is a waterproof jacket thing. Yeah. Why did you wear this particular outfit? Yeah, I don't see me. Yeah. Yeah. I, you I like, you like swimming? Yeah. That's good. You've come to the right place. Yeah, yeah. haven't you? But we have not one, not two, but three contestants taking part in this challenge who are as talented as they are terribly dressed. Yeah, Dom's having a bit of a pop at their dress sense, but it's not like horrendous. Like Riyadh is impossibly 90s with his baggy shorts and his bucket hat and his wallet chain. But, you know, H, he's just wearing a shirt. He looks like relatively normal. Aki, granted, he's wearing a waterproof jacket. He looks like an extra from Back to the Future Part 2. I had a note here that was, Dom does not like these three. <laughs> that, oh, yeah. And as we get into the interviews, I can kind of see why, because they are giving him nothing to oh, work with. Yeah. You know the lad that we had a couple of weeks ago that was kind of giving it a bit of mouth and was trying to go in there with his own knob gags that, you know, sometimes landed and sometimes didn't? I think Dom would have rather taken that and completely shat upon it than this, which is series two, series three levels of monosyllabic answers. I mean, with Ryad, who's first up under the uh, scrutiny of Mr. Diamond, he's like, oh, you've got a piercing on your lower face. Does it set off metal detectors when you go through airports? That's set up for some great bit of banter. And Ryad's like, don't know, never tried. And my exact note is, well, that's that banter. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. I'll go to H next, I guess. So, H, where do you go for your tailor? It's a secret. It's a secret location. <laughs> Dom's really, like, trying to pull blood out of a stone here. He's like, oh, OK, well, was it expensive? Was it cheap? A couple of quid? Couple of OK, couple of quid. Couple of quid, fine. That's an answer. Craig, well, I hope Aki's got something for us here. You're wearing a waterproof jacket. And Aki just says, all right, sue me. I like swimming. <laughs> well, you've come to the right place then, I guess. They can take their place by the machine, and Dom will take his place on the commentary box. And normally it's Dom and mates on comms, but this time we're getting a professional. Right, we're about to quite literally have a laugh with Top Skater. Now, usually on Games Master, we pride ourselves on the unprofessionalism of our co-commentators. We're going to break with tradition for this event and have professional skateboarder from the Unibomber team, Mr. Frank Stevens, help me out. Welcome to the show, Frank. Uh-huh. Now, uh, tell us, what kind of uh, actual stunts and stuff do you pull off regularly? Um, well, I kind of skate street stuff, um, like stairs and rails and stuff like that, just the street obstacles that yeah. around the cities and things uh, like that. That's what generally I, causing a nuisance to people causing, out. Causing an absolute nuisance, scaring grannies and that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is a professional skateboarder from the Unabomber team. Uh, I actually watched the uh, the VHS series that they put out uh, and like Frank Stevens has got his own section uh, in one of them and I've got a write-up a review of the one of the VHSs um, I wanted to be able to put some clips into it but it is just skateboarding clips to some music so it doesn't quite work for an audio medium but I will recommend you go and check them out but this is a, an episode where we have none of the usual cast of characters there's no Rick there's no Kirk there's no Derek this is two guest commentators. Well, one of them's a commentator and the other one's Franklin. Because Franklin is like widely regarded from the 90s skateboarding scene. It's still skateboarding to this day, or at least as of a couple of years ago. I found some stuff where he was interviewed kind of just after lockdown had ended and they were talking about getting together and digitising old tapes from the 90s and getting them 
cleaned up and put out as DVDs or VODs or whatever, and just talking about the sort of stuff that he did. But here, despite the fact that Dom is much warmer to this guy, it's, oh, he's not, he's not great on the mic, is he? The thing is, I get what they were going for. Like, I can, I can picture the production meeting that they had for this challenge, which was, wouldn't it be funny if we had a professional skateboarder come in and analyze how realistic Top Skater is? Because Top Skater is not a realistic skateboarding game. One of them's on a fucking bodyboard. That would be really funny to have an actual pro skater professionally analyze this. The problem was that Frank's got nothing to say. And so Frank has got like probably three lines across all three challenges. And they are just, could you do that in real life? Yeah. What does BS mean? That means backside. That's it. Like That's unfortunately all he's got. I also, and this is not disparaging against his character, I also think he may have been a little bit baked. Uh, There's every chance, so yeah. Yeah, there is a few moments later in the challenge where all he has to contribute is a Beavis and Butthead style... (laughs) Like, you know the Seth Rogen stoned laugh? Yeah, yeah. Kind of that. And I was just like, mate, you, you've, you know, you're a joker, you're a midnight toker. And again, that's fine. But also, like, Dominic carries this challenge. He has to. I mean, you compare what Frank does to Jim later on in the show. Jim is giving it socks. Jim is giving it everything. But Frank here is kind of giving nothing to it. When I, I you know, Googled like Frank after watching the episode, I went to his Instagram page. And I would genuinely thought I'd found a different Frank Stevens who was also a skateboarder from like from a you know a different time period. He looks younger now than he does here. He he's aged remarkably well. But also, it was the 90s, it was the scene. He was younger, he was kind of foolish. I mean, look at the three guys playing it. Yeah. I did love that we got to see, you know, footage of him skateboarding here. I love that some of it's filmed fisheye because that's like such a trope i had like a huge collection of skateboarding vhs's and dvds and all of this style just really resonates with me and it just like really transports me back to this period of time and watching these with my friends and wishing that we could be this cool and then going out and then trying it and being genuinely terrible assets i mean mate i've seen the czech shirts we both still own them yeah i'm, I'm, I'm literally wearing one right now not a criticism because you've seen my czech shirts <laughs> it's a thing it's a thing i still have a chain hanging out of my pocket although it's not a wallet on the end it's a swiss army knife it's kind of the nerdy version it is still cool though it was oh, the yeah. style at the time, and tis the style now. I used to have a rip curl wallet. Oh, oh, one. I had a quicksilver wallet. It was weird. It was red corduroy for a Ooh, wallet. Wow. It was it was classy, and it lasted until the corduroy was worn smooth. I just had a regular like quicksilver wallet to go with my quicksilver hoodie that I had as well. That's if I wasn't wearing my Billabong hoodie, which was also quite cool. We were just. Two cool, stylish guys. And the style that we have now, Luke, is timeless. It really is. Well, you know, I've been saying this for the past 20 years, but my style will come back into style because the 90s will always come back. And, you know, once this fad has gone past again, I've just got to wait another 30 years and I'll be in style again. I I look forward to a time in the far distant future when we are both in some weird retirement home. And finally, Luke, finally, (laughs) we will be back in style. Amongst all of our people watching Games Master on YouTube. And listening to The Prodigy. (laughs) Anyway, back to the challenge. Fuck me, this is going to be an edit. Ryad is up first, although for the benefit of this challenge, he's also Flea. 
And he starts his challenge by doing a super inward heel flip, which Franklin goes, yeah, that, that can be done. And we fairly soon lose track of the tricks because he's going at a crazy pace. It is a very, very fast and fluid game. Franklin is not, you know, that great to begin with at the commentary side of things. And to this first run, his main contribution after those first few seconds are a couple of woes and the aforementioned stoner laugh. (laughs) I feel like this is the first time he's seen the game. And rather than provide commentary, he's just watching it. And in fairness to him, I feel that because when we did UCP Live 2.0, I felt myself do that when you and I were doing commentary. I felt myself just veering into, no, I'm just watching this. I'm just watching these players play the game as opposed to providing commentary, which is what I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, you say when you and I were doing commentary, it's when you were doing commentary and I was trying to keep the tech running. (laughs) (laughs) That was a stupid mistake. We will not make that mistake again. Every UCP Live, we learn something. And what we learned this time is someone else needs to run the tech. But I think that Riyadh's not bad at this, you know, like with 30 seconds to go, he's amassed around just over 40,000 points. Uh, But at 14 seconds left or with 14 seconds remaining, he takes a tumble, loses all of that speed that you were just talking about then. Um, Still somehow manages a triple front flip and ends with 76,529. Now, given that we don't really have anything to measure that against, that sounds like a very good score. And certainly better than what Dom says, because Dom says that his final score is 46,529. And I was getting ready to go on a long old ramble about this, but as soon as we get to the next challenger, it becomes entirely academic anyway. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Because H is up next, and he's a surfer, as in the character on screen is on a surfboard. Oh yeah, sure is. As you do. Uh, Franklin is actually a bit more with it on this run, because he calls a backside grab. He goes, yeah, you can nose grind, but it's quite difficult. The skateboarders in the game are catching a lot more air than you would in real life. Some people go big, but and Dom has to rescue him by going, you need a rocket up your jacksy, which is a great line, and gets another laugh. And the long and the short of it is he obliterates Riyadh's score. And whilst his last five seconds are an anticlimax, because essentially there's nothing for him to do tricks off of at that point, but he ends on 102,605 points. And did it all while wearing sunglasses indoors. And the fact that Dom got Riyadh's score wrong at this point doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, that feels like a very good score. Because, you know, that is a nice escalation. 76 into 102,000. Aki, you know, he's got a benchmark that he needs to beat. I wonder how he's going to do. Well, he's Peanut, who's a bodyboarder. You ever been bodyboarding, Luke? I probably did in the 90s at some point, you know, when you're going to have to Fat Willy Surf Shack and all that sort of thing. Absolutely the same. Loved bodyboarding. Was a great time. Did a bunch of it off the coast of Devon. Oh, delightful. I was actually talking with some friends of mine recently about Fat Willy's bumbags and uh, explained to our French editor what they were, and she would not believe us that we used to all have Fat Willy bumbags. It was the style at the time. (laughs) It really was. Aki gets underway and basically spams the hell out of aerial 1080s. Doesn't he just? (laughs) He's got one trick, and it's about all he seems to do for the first 20 seconds. I think he's got two tricks on his up his sleeve here. He's got that move and the combo. Well, that's the thing. It's that plus the bumping off the barrels that means the fact that he's repeating a trick doesn't matter. The combo starts to build. He does a big old El Rolo, then a few more bumps, followed by a big aerial 1080, and H's score is obliterated. 
He's at 130,369 points with 20 seconds left on the clock. Everything else past this is exhibition, or as I put, showing off. Pretty much, yeah. And he ends on a whopping 281,515. Combos are key to winning this challenge. Much like combos are key in all the skateboarding games. What is Tony Hawk's without combos? It's just kind of a wheel simulator. You're not getting through any of the competitions if you're not comboing. But he absolutely wasted the opposition. I mean, Franklin's wasted, but Aki wasted people. It's not even like you can say, oh, it was close. It wasn't close. No. It was far from close. Luke, it's almost like Aki had been practising. Okay, uh, Rehab, let's start with you. Uh, I, I'm not a bad start, but it all went wrong towards the end there. Yeah, I missed a few, of the, a few of the barrels and um, also fell, which slowed me down quite a bit. Um, mm. Didn't get enough speed and I didn't get to the end, to the ramp at the end. Now, Ish, uh, you uh, not, but again, not a bad score over the 100,000. Were you happy with your game? Yeah, more than eight and sleeping. Very happy. It's praying to get this game. Yeah. Yeah. And Aggie, yeah. you totally decimated the competition then. What was your secret? Was it the combos? Yeah, yeah, cool combo. It's the most important thing. And I know that you spent a little bit of money practicing the game yeah. uh, this week before you came on. How much money did you spend? At least four hundred pounds. Four hundred pounds. Money well spent. <laughs> well, in the post-match interview, like again, kind of as we saw at the start, they haven't really got a lot to say. Riyad at least says. You know what? I, I missed a few barrels and I got slowed down towards the end. So I couldn't really build up any combos. And that's why I lost out. But H, I don't know. He just goes, yeah, I'm pretty happy with the score. I'm very happy with the game. More than eating, sleeping, praying. What? I think he's been hanging out with uh, Frank Stevens backstage. Those two and Kirk are probably having a great time. They've been hanging out by the halfpipe. <laughs> but Aki knew that combos were the most important thing. And Don was like, now I've heard that you've practiced this quite a bit down at the arcades. And Aki admits that, yes, he has. Spending around about £400 practicing this at the arcades. So as soon as he receives his golden joystick, he'll be right off down cash converters to try and get some of that money back. I was going to say, if he holds on long enough, he can definitely sell it on eBay and make his money back. And with inflation, that's actually worth more now. Uh, maybe he'll just sell his raincoat instead. <laughs> well, you sell the joystick and the raincoat as a job lot item, because then it's really television history there. Now, Luke, did you know that news is called news for <laughs> North, East, West and South? I, I have heard that before, yes. I'm pretty sure I was taught that at school. But Games Master's news... Is called news for what's happening in video games. <laughs> Honestly, the line made me laugh, and then the caption card comes up that says Wivka, and <laughs> I fucking lost it. That's the key to it. It was so goddamn funny. It's like the Dom's line is good enough, but the fact that it then has Wivka on screen is genuinely brilliant. That is a one-off sight gag is really, really good. What, what really makes Dom's line for me isn't just the delivery of the line, it's the immediate aftermath where he just kind of goes, eh, what? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but Wivka, Luke, what have we got in Wivka this week? Okay. 
currently performing death moves on the opposition in the States is Mortal Kombat Annihilation, the second big screen outing for your favourite digital psychopaths. Virtually every character seems to have secured an appearance, including various blokes who used to go out with your mum. Mortal Kombat Annihilation promises to be good clean fun when it opens here next year. Oh dear. Well, I mean, at least it's doing well in the States, I guess. Uh, and it's going to be released here next year. Mortal Kombat Annihilation. So we won't get to it in our timeline. I think the movie comes out after the show is off the air, which means we won't get to look at the Games Master magazine that on its inside cover had an advert for Mortal Kombat Annihilation. And that advert told me that movie was a 12. I was 12 years old. So me and my friends went to the cinema on a Saturday to go and see Mortal Kombat Annihilation because it's a 12. Only to find out the film is actually a 15 and we could not get tickets to go and see it. And I know that I was not alone in this story because Games Master got letters of people saying, you told me the movie was a 12, so I went to go and see it with my friends only to find out it was a 15 and I couldn't see the movie. And Games Master had to reply to those letters being like, we just print the adverts. We didn't advertise that it was a it was a 12. We printed what we were given. Very sorry that that happened. But yeah, it legit did happen to me. I mean, at the time, it wouldn't have been a problem for me anyway. But I don't know that I actually saw this at the cinema. I'm fairly certain I saw this on video because it. I, I actually thought for a while that this just went direct to video. But I think it had a very, very short theatrical run. Had a very successful theatrical run as well. I mean, like, you know, Games Master's not lying when they said it's doing well in the States because it did well there and it did well, you know, overseas. To the point, you know, it made money which is amazing because luke it's terrible okay here is the quote about this movie it is taken from my own book so tooting my own horn a little bit here and it is directly referenced on the wikipedia page is it really <laughs> yeah yeah in an interview for luke owen's book lights camera game over producer Lawrence kasanoff revealed the film was released unfinished. Honestly, the final movie that's out there is not the final movie. There was supposed to be an entire second pass of visual effects and post-production editing, but New Line said, you know what, it's testing so well, it doesn't f***ing matter. It's still going to be a hit, and by the way, it was. Interestingly, that is not the actual quote that they put in the Wikipedia page. Is it not? No, the quote that's in the Wikipedia page, which essentially says the same thing, so I'm wondering if someone has misquoted your book, Luke. <laughs> I'm telling you the effects in that movie are not the final effects, Kazanov admits. I never anticipated that someone would take the movie and go, it's good enough. We weren't done, we never finished that movie, but the studio said, we don't care, we sacrificed quality for business. Yeah, I think, well, he certainly says that at another point in the interview. I was actually reading that quote just the other day when I was going through some of my old notes. I prefer the quote you gave, but I suspect they didn't put it on Wikipedia because it contained the F-bomb. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there are two versions of that quote, but I, and I can't, yeah, and I must have used both of them in the book. But it's nice to know that the book is referenced on Wikipedia. That's nice to know. Now, there was meant to be a sequel to this movie because Robin Chu oh, yeah. was signed for a three-picture deal. There was. I've read the script. Whoa, really? I've read the script for this. Yeah, I, I wrote about it in the in the book as well. But yeah, I, I, I have a copy of the, the script for this because it was written by Drew McQueenie. See, I remember the script being referenced in the book, but I don't remember you saying, that you either owned a copy or you'd read it. I think I gave like a very brief synopsis. The chapter was running long anyway, but I gave a pretty brief synopsis of, of, of what was contained in there. Drew sent it to me quite happily. And I wanted to do more on it, but unfortunately me and Drew just couldn't find the time to sit down and like talk it through. So 
I kind of just truncated it a little bit and said, like, here was the script, and the script did not get made. As we've talked about, I really like the 95 Mortal Kombat. I think Great it film. is a very, very fun movie. Despite it being an immensely problematic animatronic, I think Goro looks pretty damn good. I think the way they executed Scorpion and Sub-Zero, just the entire movie hung together really well. Even if Christopher Lambert is a really weird casting choice. But that's okay, because guess what? He's not in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. It's not a problem. Half of them aren't there. And it's just Robin Shu that comes back. Poor old Lyndon Ashby was very upset that he didn't get to do it. Although he thought the, the script was terrible anyway, and he's probably quite glad that he didn't do it. Other than Robin Shu and Talisa Soto, uh, the other returning actor was Keith Cook, who was Reptile in the first film. He came back as Sub-Zero in the second. And Scorpion was played by someone different. It was played by J.J. Perry, who replaced Chris Casamassa because Casamassa chose to do Batman and Robin. Smart man. Better movie. It's not a high bar, but it does pass it. I think as well, because one of the things that Kastanov said that the mistake that they made, or rather he made with, with Annihilation, was they had a lot of the same crew from the first one, but leveled people up. So John R. Leonetti is the director of the sequel because he was the cameraman. He was like lead director of photography on the first movie. And like you were saying there, a lot of like the stunt actors leveled up and got character roles this time but he kind of admitted to me in an interview that like that was a mistake that they made because what they didn't do then was have some veteran types on set that could help guide these first timers in these new roles rather than just leveling them up and seeing if they sank or swam and unfortunately john alianetti as our director very much didn't swim and some of the other uh stunt people basically were just using this as a free pass to get a sag card and then because they can get a sag card started demanding more things from their contracts and started demanding more things on set because they were now an actor as opposed to just a stunt actor the uh, mistakes were made in fact if i remember correctly and I'm, I'm really digging into the recesses of my mind here i'm pretty sure this movie was not green lit while they were in production i'm pretty sure kasanoff told me he was in a boat watching a scene being filmed and New Line called him and said, you do realize you're not actually greenlit yet. Oops. <laughs> and he was like, well, it's a bit late now. We've already started filming and we're spending your money. It shows how messed up Hollywood finances are where you can actually spend as much money to hire a crew, hire a cast, this, that and the other, get permits, get transport, all, all this stuff going on and no one notices you're doing it on a movie that hasn't been greenlit it suddenly makes what happened with Series 7 of Games Master seem so blasé. It's like <laughs> Channel 4 forgot not to renew. New Line failed to notice that millions of dollars were being spent. Oh, New Line. Honestly, my biggest problem with Annihilation, apart from the unfinished effects, is something that's actually highlighted in this news article. There's too many characters in it. Regardless of whether or not they went out with your mum, there are just too many damn characters. It's a case of what else can we throw in there? Let's throw Cyrax in there. Let's throw Sector in there. Let's throw this like in there. Let's throw Jax in there. Let, it just on and on and on. It's like a prototype for Welcome to Raccoon City. There are sometimes you can do too many references to the source material or have too many things from the source material in there. And I think they were just, yeah, just trying to cram things full. I've actually just gone back into some of my old notes uh, and I found Drew McQueenie's MK3 script that he wrote. And 
one of the emails I sent back to him was, what I really like about the script is that you went in the completely opposite direction of Annihilation and you just focused on a handful of characters. Because I'm pretty sure the centralness, it's, it's all about Sub-Zero. I'm pretty sure like he's the central character in it. And it's about basically him and Scorpion, and that's the central through line of the movie, with a couple of characters peppered throughout. Wow, that's weird when you think about the Mortal Kombat movie we got a year or so ago, which Uh, I really liked. Yeah, good fun. Yeah, but good clean fun when it opens next year. Mm. Mm. Alien Resurrection is out now on film. I've seen it, and it is awesome. But you're looking at exclusive shots from Alien Resurrection, the game developed by Fox Interactive, who made the surprisingly good movie license Die Hard. When it's out next spring, Alien Resurrection should again proved to be an exception to the great film stroke cat game scenarios of the past. Gee, Ash, I really did like that Alien Resurrection film. I sure do hope there's a swell game for me to play that will be released quite timely within the movie coming out that I can play on my PlayStation at home. Is there going to be one? If you mean quite timely to coincide with the release of a movie that Dom likes and I like and you're just weird about, then yes, as long as timely means the year 2000. Yeah, this is a fascinating little bit. This is like as interesting to me as when we got the news item on Resident Evil 2 that we now know as 1.5 because what we're seeing here is the promo that Fox Interactive put out to get people excited that an Alien Resurrection game was coming when really at this point there kind of was no game or you know they were kind of in their second iteration of the game and this promo was put on VHS tapes. It's on like the start of some 20th Century Fox movies mm. or at the tail end of 20th Century Fox movies. They were quite keen to promote this game. That was like in you know, November. So this is you know a very timely news item here. But the development at this point, if you thought that the chopping and changing of the scripts just affected the movie, no, it affected the game massively as well, which is, I mean, which is why, as you said there, This game does not come out until the year 2000. So the game we see here, I think, would be the second version of the game because the first version of the game was going to be like Loaded. You remember Loaded on the PS1? The kind of the top-down two-thirds, which, you know, it was a very, at the time, kind of semi-dated style, but it was one of those early kind of like big promoted titles for the PlayStation. It was a great for an early PlayStation game. Uh, but that is what they were drawing as inspiration for this game. And they'd been working on that loaded style game for a year. And then Argonaut Games looked at it and went, eh, that genre's a bit passe. You know what we really want? We want something like Tomb Raider. Bong, start again. And so they did. And it was quite demoralizing. And by demoralising, I mean a good portion of the development team quit and walked out. Yeah. We then get to roughly where we are at this time, which is November to December 1997. The PlayStation version is still in development. The Sega Saturn version has disappeared already because they're like, ooh, no. But it was featured in magazines because there's like a, a Eurogamer interview with a lot of the developers behind this. And they've got a scan from a Sega Saturn magazine that's got screenshots from this promo video that is like, here is the Alien Resurrection game that you're going to get on the Sega Saturn. Uh, but yeah, you're right. By this point in time, it's very much, nope, We the Saturn's done. Saturn is done so done to rally. Let's stop developing for it. And 
Fox announced around this time that the PlayStation version, at least, would be out for spring 1998. Gosh, that's just around the corner. I hope they're doing yeah. well with that development. Oh, they're doing great with it. They're doing so great with it that in spring 1998, they changed it to fall 1998. <laughs> so you've already got a development team that are fairly low on morale. Do you know what will make that morale even lower? Is when they see the film, and not only do they not particularly like the film, clearly they are more in your camp than mine and Dom's, but they also found out that the game they'd made specifically to appear in the film for a character to be seen playing it is there for a New York second. Yeah, I mean, I knew this because I, I was reading up that interview before I rewatched Alien Resurrection, and even knowing that this game was going to be in the movie, I missed it. But, Luke, we fast forward to late 1998, and guess what happens? What's that, Ash? They ditch the development <laughs> again. <laughs> well, Tomb Raider's passe by the time we get to 1998. But you know what isn't? What's that? First-person shooters. <laughs> Fucking doom. But what they actually did, they didn't completely scrap it. They changed the camera to fix issues they were having with the third-person development. They were having issues getting the camera to work properly, with the amount of enemies on screen, having to render them with the, you know, the very wide field of view. And this let them go, well, okay, we've actually got a fixed field of view, and so we can drop and pop enemies as you go along. And suddenly, this decision to make it a first-person game actually ended up helping matters because suddenly so many of the technical problems they were experiencing, they didn't disappear. They just couldn't be seen. It's a lot like the development of Sonic Extreme for the Sega Saturn. When Sen and, and Coffin were making that game, they made a lot for it on PC, but the second they took that and put it onto a Sega Saturn, it ran at like three or four frames a second and only did, like displayed four colors. And they could not figure out why, because the Saturn was a absolute bastard to code for, until they ran it through Knacker's engine for Nights into Dreams. And all of a sudden, it was a piece of piss to do. And they absolutely flew through production. Well, of course, I mean, we talked about this on the, the Sonic uh, Christmas Blast episode on Patreon. That was until Yuji Naka found out that they'd done it without his permission and then banned them from using it and threatened to quit Sega over it. But it's one of those things of just, we're really struggling, really struggling. We've made one different decision. It's like, oh, wow, this has made everything so much easier. We probably should have done this years ago. But some positives of the game and its very laborious development cycle... It was one of the first games to use both analog sticks on the PlayStation controller for movement and aiming. Also, supported the PlayStation mouse. Mouse look on a PlayStation game. Not bad. And finally, much like the newborn, the difficult birth was over and it emerged into the world at the tail end of the year 2000. October in America, December in Europe, almost three years after the theatrical release of the film. They may as well have just waited until AVP. It's actually not that far off from the release of AVP. I think it might be closer to AVP <laughs> than it is to Resurrection. I was just thinking then, was it 2002 or 2003? But yeah, it probably is closer to AVP. But what did the reviewers think? Eh, it's all right. They praised the atmosphere and the scary gameplay, the fact there were some real legitimate jump scares, in fact, more jump scares than there are in the actual movie, but the graphics were dated. I mean, <laughs> three years old. And some people just said, it becomes kind of slow and dull. There were some criticisms of the dual analogue controls, but it wasn't because they were bad, it's because people weren't familiar with them. Yeah, isn't that so interesting that that's people were like, oh, this is a very weird way to play 
a first-person shooter when that is what is now the standard. But we're not done with first-person shooters yet, are we, Luke? Also due next year is Quake 64, the N64 conversion of the PC Classic. As well as all the stuff from the original, Quake 64 is rumoured to have additional levels as well as that multiplayer shenanigans. With Doom, Duke Nukem and soon Quake all available for console, it looks like PC owners will have to find something else to be smug about. It is the style of the time, Ash, and PC players are going to have to find something else to be smug about because all of their best games are now on the home console markets. Yeah, but the PC versions are actually still better. Uh, yes, I think the PC version of Quake is better than Quake 64, even if it has got like new levels and, and multiplayer and, and this and the other. And I think I would much rather play Quake on a PC in the same way I'd probably rather play Duke Nukem on a PC. I'd rather play Doom on a PC as well, actually, if I'm being brutally honest. Although the PlayStation port is very, very good. Oh, the PlayStation port is a single-player experience. Absolutely brilliant. Doom 64! as a single player experience. Oh, masterpiece. But I actually much prefer playing Doom 64 now on my PC or my Switch. I prefer playing Doom 64 now because I feel like they have sorted out the brightness issue that Doom 64 had. (laughs) And the Quake 64, it did have multiplayer. It had two player deathmatch. Hey, Ash, do you know what? Wave Race 64, that's that's a real selling feature. You know those four controller ports on the front of the Nintendo 64? You can use two of them don't need it you'll need to be plugging dd stuff into that instead but yeah there was some exclusive stuff on the nintendo 64 it got an extra deathmatch level and i think that was about it yeah i think that was about it yeah it got a deathmatch level yeah it looks pretty good it runs pretty good but the pc version's better and actually as a port's point of view doom 64 is a better port than quake 64 but luke this wouldn't technically be the only port of Quake for a Nintendo system because a Game Boy Advance port was in development by Randy Linden and he pitched it to ID Software, they rejected it and it would remain lost to time until June of last year, June 2022 and we already had my Game Boy Advance make an appearance on the show in audio form the other week with a beta of Yoshi's Story and there is Quake running on a Game Boy Advance. The beta is out there. Not bad at all. I can see why ID would have rejected it because it doesn't look amazing, but it does look far better than it has any right to. Well, I think that's enough news for now. We need to get into a celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? There are many football games I could have chosen for my celebrity contestants, but none that captured the spirit of this greatest of games more than Worldwide Soccer 98 on the Sega Saturn. Ancient rivals, England and Scotland, will meet again on the virtual pitch in a match of two 90-second halves. Right then, let's prepare for kickoff. Well, we haven't got the annual Gamesmaster footy tournaments this year because, you know, rushed production and all of that, but we are at least getting a football challenge here, and it feels like kind of a nice way to round off what has been a games master tradition for pretty much the i mean we've had a football challenge in every series but certainly like the big celebrity footballers coming in has felt like a real mainstay of games master and this is actually kind of a a fairly big one although the game choice is kind of interesting i I'm, i'm not sad to see it because it's nice to get different perspectives on different football games i would have still loved to have seen some sensible soccer in here But rather than FIFA or rather than Actua or any of the others, we're back with Sega Worldwide Soccer and their 1998 edition. So 
two theories on this. It's either A, they had a very good relationship with Sega and Sega were willing to give it across and Sega provided it to them. Or B, internally, this was their favorite football game. And just like in the offices and stuff, when they're playing these football games together, this is the one that they enjoyed the most and they, they like this more than FIFA. Or C, that skateboarding game came with a price tag and the price tag was feature our soccer game. Now, it's not a bad game. Essentially, it uses the exact same game engine as 97. And in fact, that was one of the biggest criticisms of it. Most critics went, there's not actually that much different from the previous year. So, hey, guess what? Sega were ahead of the curve. They were doing FIFA a good decade or so before that criticism was fully leveled at the FIFA series. It's not even like they're updating the player like sheets either, the team sheets because they're all made-up players in this game. Although one of them on the England team is definitely designed on Gaza. Oh yeah, and as soon as they identify him as Gaza, the commentary just refer to him as Gaza. It doesn't matter what the name says. But we're seeing a 3D football game on the Saturn, and it is amazing that we actually get the Saturn still on Games Master. It's amazing it wasn't on the Nintendo 64. You'd have thought they'd have been looking at ISS or something like that. It makes me think that, like you say, this was definitely a handshake agreement with sega you can use top skater as long as you use our football game as well for, for the challenge it's on the same episode right now we're going to use this challenge as a curtain raiser for domestic hopes in uh, the france world cup so welsh and irish viewers you can go and make a cup of tea because representing scotland and england please welcome christian daly and saul campbell yeah! welcome to the show saul hi Adrian. welcome christian hi there all right all right Okay, guys, now, um, obviously, both of you are looking forward to France and the World Cup. Uh, what's, what's the best and worst things that you think there'll be about France, So, uh, I think the best thing will be me playing, in, you know, actually playing in the uh, World Cup. And uh, I think the worst thing could happen is uh, losing in the final. Yeah. No, that won't be that, won't be that bad. <laughs> that won't be that bad at all. Uh, Christian, what about you? What are you looking forward to about France? Um, same as so, really, just being there. Uh, it's a massive thrill just to be involved in something like the World yeah. Cup. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can, we can play England and hopefully we can beat them this day. Oh, it will happen. I am, I am absolutely convinced. <laughs> oh, but Luke, we've got some domestic relations going on in this challenge. It's England versus Scotland, two 90-second halves. Time for a kickoff. And boy, what a kickoff to have, because here are two absolute names of the sport. Christian Daly, Sol Campbell. Look, they're, they're so good. We get an extended version of that terrible Hawaii 5.0 rip-off theme music. This is great for two reasons. A, they're good. They're really big names. You know, you think how far we've come since Games Master Series 1 with, you know, the football stars they were getting. Uh, and here we are now with, you know, two really big names in Christian Daly and Sol Campbell. But B, and they, they pitch it as this as well. It's a perfect warm-up to get you ready for World Cup 98. Because both England and Scotland have qualified for World Cup 98. Sorry, Wales and Ireland. And here we've got England v Scotland. We might even see this matchup at World Cup 98. We don't. But we could have done. And I thought that was a really nice way to pitch this. Give it a bit of flavour, a bit of context. You know, Games Master even introduced this at like, it's here to capture the spirit of football. And I feel that this challenge really does succeed there. We start things off with Sol Campbell and Dom's like, you know, the World Cup next year. What will be the best things about France? And the way both Sol and Christian take this is the World Cup as opposed to let's dunk on the French. Yes. And Sol's just like, oh, to play in the World Cup, that will be the thing. And the worst thing would be losing in the final. And Dom's like, no, no. 
it wouldn't be that bad. This is very much, we're on live and kicking, and we just need to give some stock answers here. Nothing outrageous, nothing dangerous, just... I'm excited to play the World Cup. Phew, losing in the final would be terrible, wouldn't it? But we also get our first words here from Sol Campbell, who at this point in time was with Tottenham Hotspur. He started his professional career with them in December 1992. He'd be there all the way up until 1999 and then would next go over to their rivals Arsenal, where he would remain for five years until heading on over to Portsmouth on a free transfer. However, as we're on the cusp, of the 1998 World Cup, it is worth pointing out that he was involved in a fairly controversial incident at the World Cup itself. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously not Sol's fault, but, and and I I mean, I I don't know how to sort of the best phrase this. He should have qualified us. He should have gotten us out the last 16, which is where we got knocked out in the World Cup. He should have got us through to the quarters. We should have beaten Argentina because he scored and the referee disallowed the goal because Shearer was impending on the goalkeeper and the referee went against it. I actually found like an article was saying like, it is one of the best examples of a goal that would have gone differently had VAR been, you know, there in that time. The same way, like, uh, Maradona's Hand of God goal would have been disallowed with VAR. This is one of those instances where VAR would have shown that Campbell was okay and Shearer was, you know, not interfering with play. And the goal would have stood and we would have qualified and we would not have got knocked out on penalties. Anderton's delivery. Campbell's header is in! The 10 men of England! It's not going to stand. Argentina play on. So many England players were celebrating the goal. Neville slides it. This is Ortega. And Crespo denied. Well, this has become frantic now. In Saint-Étienne, England thought they had scored down one end. Let's have a look. It's a header from Campbell. It's down into the net. And then immediately down the other end. With some England players off the field still celebrating what they thought was a goal. Anderton denies Crespo. Let's have another look at this. Sol Campbell jumps. Maybe it's Shearer in front of him. Alan Shearer leading with his right arm. Does he collide with the goalkeeper? Is that enough to disallow the goal? That was the decision seemingly made by the Danish referee. And England can feel somewhat hard done by battling with 10 men. They thought they had a 3-2 lead. Such drama in Saint-Étienne. It is an absolutely heartbreaking moment. I still, I remember it. I just remember just sat there just feeling numb, gutting. And like it was particularly heartbreaking as well because Beckham had got sent off earlier for the stupidest of reasons and very unfairly he was the one that took all the blame like the papers the following day all blamed Beckham for us going out very much if we were a full strength squad we wouldn't have gone out Beckham probably would have taken a penalty wouldn't have missed it's definitely his fault we went out and I think that was very unfair on the poor lads that is that is really really horrendously unfair because what stopped us winning wasn't Beckham not being on pitch it was the goal being disallowed exactly if yeah. Beckham had been on pitch the, the same mistake would have been made okay so he may have taken a penalty but we should never have gotten to penalties in the first place 
I remember exactly where I was. I was on Guernsey. I was on a school trip in a, on a campsite and we were listening to this in our tents, um, into you know various different tents and stuff on the radio. We were listening to it on Five Live, and the confusion because we couldn't see the visuals of it. We just heard the penalty and a reaction. Exactly what's going through Batty's mind. Don't join them. It's Batty, and he has joined them. And England again are out of the World Cup on penalties. It's extraordinary. And what we heard was a massive cheer. So we thought that he'd scored. What we were actually hearing was the Argentinian fans cheering that the penalty had been saved. And there was a real, like, we then had that moment of realization that we had just been knocked out of the World Cup. It sucks. Sucks, sucks so so bad. Dom turns a question to Christian. Um, Christian echoes soul, but adds that he hopes they play England and beat them this time. Dom's like, yes, that will absolutely happen. That that is that is written in stone. This is what will happen. I'm just going to quickly check uh, the the history books. Uh, sadly, Scotland got one point in the group stage and were eliminated. Yep, yep. Their single point came from a one-one draw against Norway, and they failed to get out of the first round for an eighth time in the FIFA World Cup, a record that still stands to this day. Bless the Scots. What I really like about this is. They proper not only play up the fact that it's England versus Scotland. Dom's Scottish, so he's just fully on Christian side. And later on, you know, when we come back from the ad break, we'll have Jim Rosenthal doing commentary, who is very much on England's side. The banter is beautiful throughout. This is now, I'll say it now, and this will kind of show my hand a little for our episode wrap-up. This is my favourite football challenge, potentially in all of Games Master. I have the exact same note. Well, uh, luckily, as an impartial presenter of this show, I have no bias <laughs> in the result of this titanic struggle between Scotland, yes, and England pants. <laughs> we will find out the result and much more after this break. Because most Tesco stores are now open longer, you can pop in when we're less busy. Excuse me. I want nappies for the baby, carrots for the donkey, and marshmallows for the Archangel Gabriel. Follow me, madam. Which means we'll be able to give you more attention. They're for baby Jesus. I'm his grandmother. And with more customer assistance, we'll help you through the checkout in double quick time. There you go. Right. Back to Bethlehem. Excuse me. Sorry. Look! Just in time. Tesco wish you all a stress-free Christmas. Oh. Um. Every little helps. I'm not going to move. No, sir. My wife said either her or the horse. <laughs> and now they're going to build another highway right through here. I don't know anyone who works in an office. I shall not, I shall not and be I got moved. Bored catching catfish. <laughs> I don't go to parties. They just kind of happen. Sure it upsets the neighbors because they can't play like me. I used to dream of white wedding. What a nightmare. Sort of a nine to five job. Five in the morning, Natalie. Actually, I like highways. That's why I moved here. Your hair looks too healthy to be hairsprayed. Imagine, great hold that feels healthy. Some hairsprays can feel sticky and unhealthy. Introducing new Pantene Flexible Hairspray with Elastes. 
our unique holding ingredient for a great hold that's flexible. Unlike some hairsprays that can feel sticky, Pantene Flexible really holds, but without that sticky feeling. Try new Pantene Flexible Hairspray with Elastes. Feel your hair, not your hairspray. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Something really big is happening all over Britain. Guaranteed to bring you the biggest savings. MFI Homeworks brings you Britain's biggest bedroom sale with up to 50% off Britain's biggest range of master bedrooms, children's bedrooms, spare bedrooms, and pine bedrooms. So don't miss Britain's biggest bedroom sale. It's at MFI Homeworks. Starts Boxing Day. If we can get a little closer. The nocturnal activities of this species are fascinating. Some nipple delicious wafer-thin after eights. Here we see a challenge to the dominant male, who's clearly marked his territory. With awesome eyesight, this creature spots one lone after eight and devours mercilessly. What? And here... Blasted film crew got in here again. Oh dear, looks as though we've been spotted. <laughs> when a man you've never met before gives you chicken, that's KFC. I've fought fires on every continent, and even some at sea as well. Some of them, they were like hell on earth. I thought nothing could beat the rush until I experienced this. That's when I knew I had to call it a day. HP Sauce, have you got the bottle for it? Welcome back to Games Master. 
That's the world set for our clash of the domestic titans. England against Scotland in the shape of Saul Cardinal against Christian Daly. At this point, I'd now like to welcome back one of our friends from last year's. He's been dabbling with motor cars, but now he's back where he belongs, beside me in the commentary box, Mr. Jim Rosenthal. Welcome back, Jim. Welcome back, indeed. Back on a desert island where I belong, then. Well, Jim, you know what I thought was strange was that one minute, there you were on Games Master doing the commentary. The next thing, you signed up for a massive deal doing the Formula One. Do you think they saw you on Games Master? It was all on the back of my appearance with you. <laughs> that was it? I that... thought, if I can handle you, I can handle anything. <laughs> <laughs> that Schumacher was a doddle. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, okay, this is Scotland, England. Is it going to be like the typical clashes? Scotland coming out, lots of skill, Brazilian flair, and England fluking it? It's not quite how I've seen the last <laughs> clashes, I must admit. I'm, I'm racking my memory for England fluking it. Uh, I think it's going to be very, very competitive. I think it's going to be tight. I was already really enjoying this challenge, before it even begun anyway, because Dom is on fine form here. Big football fan that he is, Dominic Diamond, and a very proud Scott he is as well. So he was very much behind uh, Christian Daly going up against Sol Campbell here. And my mood was raised tenfold because Jim Rosenthal is next to Dominic Diamond in the commentary booth. And I really liked the journey we went on with Jim in Series 6, where it was like, challenge one. Oh, I'm a bit unsure of what these lads are doing here. It's episode two. Oh, I kind of get it now. Episode three. No, I'm loving this and we're going to have a really fun time. So now here we are on his fourth appearance on the show. He gets it so, so much. And he is fantastic in this challenge. I mean, he gets where Dom is coming from and he's ready to fire it back because Dom takes credit for the appearance on Games Master leading to Jim's recent massive contract with Formula One. And Jim's doesn't attempt to dissuade. He goes, no, you're absolutely right because they saw me on here and they said, well, if you can handle Dom, you can handle anything. Schumacher's a doddle. <laughs> Dom's like, you know, what we're looking for here, do we think it's going to go like it usually does with Scotland has their Brazil-like flair and then England just fluke a victory? And Jim just pauses and we're like, Oops. Not exactly how I remember it going. He does think it's going to be a very competitive, tight match. We'll see. Well, I think one of the the real benefits of this is that we get two 90-second halves. Like previously on Games Master, one of the problems we've had with football challenges is we, you know, we've had like 30-second halves or 45-second halves. So you kind of barely get any momentum building and then the, the challenge is over. You know, sometimes we've done that with 90 seconds, there was the whole game. When you've got a minute and a half per half on a much slower game that feels more like a sports sim, so it's a bit more realistic, you feel like you watch quite a lot of a football game here. This minute and a half feels a lot longer, partly because, you know, the timer is paused between, you know, uh, kickoffs or goal kicks and things like that. So you actually get a pretty decent amount of football challenge here. Yeah, it's it's really nicely paced. Although, we get kickoff, and this happens, and this happens at the beginning of both halves, where they go to kickoff, and then the players just stand there for a solid five seconds and suddenly go, oh, and we're underway, and we're off. That's the Sega Saturn for you. I, I would say no, it's the players, but Luke, it's the final season of Games Master, and we have two footballers playing a football game that know how to play the football game. I think Sol gets confused with some of the buttons at different times. You know, like the first goal that he concedes is very much a, I pressed the wrong button there. And I think a lot of his like early shots that he has where he just hoofs it from almost a halfway mark are 
victims of wrong button presses. But to his credit, he learns from those mistakes and works out what passes and then can string together a few passes, which leads to a very good goal. Probably the best goal of the game. I think they both play football games. I think Sol plays football games. I just don't think he's played this one because he gets he gets the mechanics of how these games work. It's just, as you said, wrong button presses. Once he knows what buttons he's meant to be pressing, he knows how it works. Exactly. And he's on board. He's been playing FIFA on the PlayStation. That's what it is. That's exactly it. Yeah, well, because that's because no one owns a Sega Saturn. But yeah, he is definitely playing FIFA 97. We both own a Sega Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> At this point in time. Um, but yeah. He's, yeah, he's definitely been playing the FIFA games or maybe playing ISS or something like that. So it's just, it's probably played it in practice quick. Or actually, I, but you better even come in and be like, I don't think I need to practice on this game. It's a football game. They're all the same. Just tell me what the buttons are. But it is, unfortunately, his first goal that he concedes is an epic mistake. There's a really couple of good fun chances that Christian has early doors as well. He has one shot that is massively wide that Dom plays up was like within a, you know, a, a Nat's dick from going in. And Jim has to like really calm him down to be like, oh, I don't think that was as close as you think it was. No, it's the kiss of death from me. It's a score that just goes wide there. I thought that was well wide, that one, actually. I think you're getting a bit carried away a bit early on here. There's a moment when uh, Sol tackles Christian well outside the box. And Dom's like, that should be a penalty, even though it was well outside the box. It's like a genuinely exciting first 30 seconds. But Sol, from a goal kick, passes it to his defender. Jim thinks that's a really odd choice. What's an odder choice is that defender blasts it back towards the keeper and kicks it out for a corner. And it's a, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. I don't think it's going to pay off. And it doesn't because Christian scores. It is, though, a beautiful goal. I mean, all of the goals are really, really nice goals. England does have the best goal of the challenge. But this one, just a long, almost too long cross across the goal mouth, but it's headed down and then just passed through, followed on, chipped into the back. It's a it's textbook football game goal. And you can tell that Sol is just getting used to the controls here because Dom asks Jim, what would you like to see from Sol in retaliation here? And Jim's cutting line is, Sol will be looking to get a, just a little bit of momentum going and perhaps make a, a single pass be nice to see. <laughs> He's very critical of the England squad, including their defenders that keep running away from the ball. The great thing is, and we talked about this last week with the GoldenEye Challenge, because there's not actually, you know, a group of screaming kids watching this. It's just these four lads on the, on the set. You can hear Sol and Christian laughing at Jim and Dom's commentary throughout this. It feels then like, Four mates having a laugh. Even though all three are guests, it still feels like Dom and mates. It does. Isn't that weird? I think that shows the real strength of Dominic Diamond as a character and how he makes people feel very welcome on the set of Games Master. Uh, At this point, Dominic spots Gaza. Scotland take a run on goal. They can't convert it to a goal. England return the favour. Also can't convert it into a goal. Gaza takes a shot on goal, which the keeper saves. There's another shot also saved. And then a third attempt from Not Gaza, which also doesn't convert. A corner fails to convert. And that wraps up the first half. England are losing 1-0. But it's been a Bobby Dazzler of a first half. Even if England haven't been playing that well, even if there have been some rather odd moves, it's felt like two people playing a football game with a moderate degree of competency, whilst a professional commentator and a bloke from Scotland have a bit of a giggle. 
But with a football, you know, pedig- a sport pedigree behind him as Dominic Diamond, those few months at Channel 5 have paid dividends for him in some way. But I, I think Sol had a really great chance just towards the end there. A genuinely very exciting first half of football. And Jim wants to see more pressing from England and for the defence to actually defend. But what he'd really like, Ash, is to see that Scotland keeper off the pitch. Dominic would just like to see a repeat of the first half because <laughs> as it stands... Scotland are winning. (laughs) Well, he may just get his wish as well. Having said that, Christian has an open goal opportunity and whiffs it something fierce. Thankfully for him, Campbell makes another epic mistake and essentially hands him his second goal on a silver platter. Christian was not going to have two open goal opportunities miss and he took the second one. Following that second goal, they could coast it easy, but Scotland stay on the attack. There's a challenge in the box, which is the one you mentioned earlier, where Dominic shouts for penalty and Jim just shuts him down. He's like, get away with you. Just just (laughs) stop messing about. Get away with you. It's so, so great. And there's a moment there where Christian's keeper 100% picks up the ball outside of the penalty box. And Jim starts shouting at the referee to open your eyes, man. So the box, Jim, I thought it was. I thought it was. Referee, come on, man. But finally, things start to turn around on England. The Scottish goal comes under attack from not Gaza, and it becomes 2-1. Now, Scotland at this point should, in theory, just hole up for the rest of the half. Just hold that one goal lead. Not on your Nelly. They go on the attack. They get a throw in. They turn it into a goal in a one-on-one situation. 3-1. As Jim says, the English defence are on holiday. There are five seconds left. And let's be honest, fuck all is going to change this result. Oh, bless Jim, though, because he obviously we, we get an on-screen counter that shows, you know, the timer going down. But I don't think Jim had access to that. Dom's like, do you think England can claw this back? And Jim says, well, you never know as the final whistle blows. And then says, uh, you never know. You never know. It's not over till it's over. And in fact, that's it, it is over. Which is Games Master's equivalent of they think it's all over. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it is now. I particularly love you can and Sol really busts a gut at this. Jim talks about how well Sol Campbell defended in Rome, but he clearly left all of that defense prowess while he was there. And Sol is cackling, laughing at this. It's so good. Okay, I, I know my opinions on how that match went, but I'll, uh, I'll leave it to the expert. Jim, how did you see it? Well, first of all, we are on Fantasy Island, aren't we? So it couldn't <laughs> happen in real life. But um, I don't think that we or Sol or England, whichever way you want to put it, ever really recovered from that first goal when the corner came out of nowhere and uh, Scotland took the advantage. But at least England did get the best goal of the game. Yes, no, it was. It was a fantastic move for your goal, wasn't it, actually, Sol? Yeah, it was right in the corner, but, uh, you know, the defensive work wasn't too, uh, too good. You know, basic errors. Now, Christian, a fantastic performance there. Uh, can you see that happening if the two teams met in the World Cup? Um, I think it's a distinct possibility, um, especially <laughs> if we adopt the same uh, Brazilian style of football yeah. as we showed there, and, and look, that's, that's the way we can play. What was, what was the secret then to your success in that? Uh, it's definitely a, a good team performance and uh, you know it, it bodes well for France 98 and when we get into the post-match Jim with some brilliant like I, w- I would call this father-in-law banter which is well we must be on Fantasy Island because that result would never happen in real life chortle 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 and they, they're just chatting and they say that England never recovered from that first goal 
but they did get the best goal of the game, something which Dom does concede because, you know, at the end of the day, Scotland still won, so what the hell? And Sol takes a compliment but says that defence wasn't too good. It was just basic errors. And Christian's like all there with, oh, if these two teams met in the World Cup, similar result would be a distinct possibility, especially if we adopted that same Brazilian style of football. Secret to their success? It was a good solid team performance, Luke. Bodes well for France 1998. And that was when I had my version of the note you mentioned earlier of they didn't even make it out of the groups. They yeah. got one point. It's a proper wah, wah, wah. But he gets a golden joystick, so there's that. There is that, which is more than Sol Campbell did, and he didn't get to lift the World Cup either. So that is, I mean, yeah, cards on the table. That's the best football challenge we've had in Games Master. They really did save the best for last no tournament messing about people that could actually play the games because hey video games were cool at this point playstations were cool saturns were there and it was such a good fun challenge i was grinning throughout it having jim there on commentary was so great because he just brought an air of legitimacy to it brilliant brilliant stuff what a what a great final football challenge to have it's so good. And I, I, when I think back to Series 6 in particular, you know, I think you and I even said this on the wrap-up episode, they weren't bad challenges, but they were so forgettable. Like, I've already forgotten all three of them. I only remember that Rick took part in one of them, and there was a bit of comedy around that. All I remembered, really, was Jim and, and Dom. Here, though, everything comes together. Jim is great. Dom is great. Their chemistry is great. And then you have a genuinely good football challenge on top of that with two very good players. It's just so, so good. Those Spice Girls, eh, what are they like? They are everywhere. Are you sick of the sight of them? Good, because they have nothing to do with today's feature. Are you sick of the Spice Girls yet, Luke? <laughs> Not at this point, no. I'm, I'm going to be queuing up to go see the Spice World movie at this point. Well, I mean, you might have to go there to get your fix because there's none of them in this week's feature. So clearly they're not focusing on the upcoming PlayStation game. But it is, as you alluded to last week, it's the sequel feature focusing on the peripheral that will change everything. The 64DD. I think we could have another wah, wah, wah in there as well. Following our report last week on the software on show at Nintendo Space World Expo in Tokyo, today we take a look at the hardware side of things, specifically the first public showing of the N64's Double D add-on. The Double D is a right double disc drive that opens the way to far bigger games than can be squeezed on a card. Several titles are in development. They should allow you to customise things like race tracks, characters and detailed game settings. For now though, Nintendo are pushing the DD for the kind of interactive activity normally associated with PCs. Titles like Talent Maker, Polygon Maker and Picture Maker allow you to fool around with all sorts of sophisticated graphics tools. By capturing picture and sound through a specially modified card, you can indulge your artistic bent to the full. Make virtual characters with your own features mapped onto them and look really, really cool like this guy. But yeah, this is... I actually thought this was going to be in the news item. Um, and then when it wasn't, I was like, huh, I thought they promised us a, a 64 follow-up. But we get it here. It's a, you know an actual feature, which we don't get a lot of in Series 7. We, you know, this, this is left for the reviews. No reviews in this episode. But this is a very chunky Series 6, Series 5-esque feature, which is here is a hot new thing. We've got the footage from this because this was shown at a trade show recently. And here are some fascinating little trinkets that you can look forward to in the upcoming year or so. Because at this point, they're talking here about how the 64DD, it's going to be out in 1998. You're going to be able to go and buy them in stores. 
and it is probably going to change the war between Nintendo and Sony. And, you know, we'll talk about the, the, the DD first, but that's not the most interesting thing from this news item. Not by a country mile, but to talk a little bit about the 64 DD, we have mentioned it before. It was, you know, it was talked about on the launch episode yeah. with, uh, with the amazing cliff. Uh, filling in for you and this was originally meant to come out in 1997 it was then pushed back to 1998 and actually it didn't come out until 1999 and when we talk about the games that are shown later those delays play a significant role in what happened to those games but what we start with here is seeing talent maker picture maker polygon maker basically expansions of the kind of mario paint interactive game we see a really cool-looking custom Nintendo 64 cartridge with video inputs on the back. Yeah. A capture card. That is so awesome. A literal capture cartridge. There's even things like, you know, essentially prototype me's on here of, you know, mapping your face onto game characters and then using those game characters within games itself on the, on the 64DD. Like, you know, the way that Dom presents this here is that Nintendo are trying to get functionality of a pc onto the nintendo 64 the delays were really what did the 64 dd in i mean it it didn't come out until 1999 and when you think of the lifespan of the nintendo 64 in general it's too little too late at yeah. that point it never got released in north america apart from a few prototypes that were located of the north american version and only nine games were released or nine titles were released. A lot of the other titles just got turned into regular Nintendo 64 games. I mean, two of the games that they show here, which we'll get onto in a minute, are just regular 64 games uh, at the end of the day. What the 64DD ends up being, very unintentionally, it's Nintendo's 32X. Really, really is. Of the games released, obviously there was the Polygon Studio, Talent Studio and Paint Studio, which were retitled versions of the kind of game-tainment, whatever you want to call it, yeah. the interactive software that you see here. Uh, there was also an F-Zero expansion kit, uh, SimCity 64, a golf game, and of course the, the internet. Uh, the 64DD was very much tied into an online subscription service. It was called Randnet. So you you had all this going on. And I think if it had come out when it was originally meant to, maybe it would have been a game changer. Maybe it would have really kind of switched the fortunes around. I could have easily seen a combined 64DD console where it was maybe a slightly different form factor, maybe like the old Famicom Sharp Duos, where you had... The, the Famicom on one side and the disk drive on the other, they'd have looked at doing something like that or maybe made made the cartridges and the disks front-loading, made something that was a bit more like a VCR for the overseas markets. Who knows how they could have combined it because we never will. They shuttered the entire subscription online service just 15 months after the add-on launched. I think it's delays obviously really hurt it, but kind of in a similar way to the Sega Saturn. And, you know, in... in 32x in in some capacity as well it didn't have that killer app it didn't have that game that made people go like ah i need to buy a 64 dd so i can play this a big part of that which is what you mentioned earlier it's the delays because by the time the things come out the killer apps that it might have possibly had were long gone and and, and elsewhere you know this was supposed to be launched with zelda 64 
that was going to be its killer app. The follow-ons from there, Stadium and Snap, were supposed to be the killer apps for it, but they just get released as N64 games. And without that killer app, there's really no need to have the 64 outside of it being an interesting curio. And I mean, the other problem is, from the point where the 64DD was first announced, the technology, the magnetic storage just became obsolete because obviously Sony came out there, did their thing with the CD. But even in the idea of like a magnetic disk storage, they were on the up and up. You had zip disks, which actually had already appeared in 1994. And whilst, yes, they were quite slow as external devices, as an internally connected device, it could have been a lot quicker. They were 100 meg capacity at this point. I want to say by the time that the 64DD came out, the 250 megabyte version was out. And only a year or so after that, the 750 megabyte version was out, which was then at or above the average capacity of the CD. Meanwhile, the 64DD was way, way lower than that. Yeah, and and I said that it was Nintendo's 32X, but really, in a way, it's the original Nintendo Disk System, the one that was intended for the the NES. Like, a really good idea. It's just the kind of one that no one really bought into. That's slightly different because that didn't really find its market. Here, it's just it came out far too late. Although even with the Famicom Disk System, it still had about 200 games. Yeah, well, with Castlevania, it was a Disk System game. The reason why Castlevania is so hard is because you're supposed to be able to save it and then carry on from where you last saved it. I mean, notable Famicom Disk System originals, not only Castlevania, but Metroid, the Zelda series, Kid Icarus. Because they're supposed to be savable games that you save on the disk system and and things of that nature. And that's where the disk system survives is because it had those killer apps that the DD just did not have. We would have never had the Western Mario Brothers 2 without the Famicom disk system because uh, Doki Doki Panic was a disk-only game, you know, in Japan at least. Yeah. But back to the 64DD as we mentioned a lot of the exclusive games that were going to really really help big it up went elsewhere including these next two games which I don't think they're going to go anywhere I mean Dominic takes the piss out of them what can they possibly have that will appeal to anyone in the western world but the biggest seller for the new dd is likely to be the pocket monster series which i love because i've got a big pocket monster myself they're a kind of tamagotchi for game boys in which you breed monsters and fight your mates via a link cable it's sold 8 million copies in japan to date and pocket monster stadium on the dd accesses the game boy pocket monsters via the n64 controller to unleash a whole new world of pocket monster hijinks with rival monsters loaded in the DD, your favourite critters can then settle their scores in fully rendered 64-bit style. This is awesome. I guess this is one of those in-context ones. I mentioned it earlier. I One of my favorite news items in Games Master history is that Resident Evil 2 that we now know as Resident Evil 1.5 because that is in-context news reporting on something that we just now know about and we know of sort of like its development and stuff. But this is like an in-context time of... No, 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 this is what Resident Evil 2 is going to look like. And we had it earlier in this episode with Alien Resurrection and then playing that promo that would be attached to VHSs and just sort of become a little bit of resurrection lore of this version of the game that never saw the light of day. This is something slightly different to that. This 
is a Western TV show taking the piss out of a Japanese phenomenon because all the wacky Japan sort of thing. I mean, he even says, don't mind the titles that we showed you. They're just weird over there. Those pocket monsters will never take off that's over here. That's exactly it. What he's basically saying is like, this is no, it's, it's just a Tamagotchi. Like, that's all this is. It's just a Tamagotchi that you can fight with. There's really nothing special about this. And, you know, in fairness to Dominic Diamond, you know, this is being done in December of 1997. We're not going to have a Pokemon game here in the UK until late 99. So it's a couple of years off yet before we get the big Pokemon boom that is then going to engulf the country and become a huge mainstay of the video game market. But it is so cool to see it here. Not as Pokemon. That word is never said. Just Pocket Monsters. And it's Pocket Monster Stadium. Pocket Monster Snap. This is primordial Pokemon news in the UK. This is probably the first time that we'd have seen Pokemon in the UK. Like, certainly very early doors for seeing them also in colour like yeah. this and moving as part of Pocket Monster Stadium. And the thing is, I've got to be careful, and you won't hear this in the edit, but I've called it Pokemon Stadium a couple of times. But no, this is Pocket Monster Stadium, and this is not the game we will come to know as Pokemon Stadium because this Pocket Monster Stadium, one, didn't get released on the 64DD, and two, never got released outside of Japan. It got converted to a cartridge, but because of limitations of storage on the cartridge that they used, only contained 40 of the 151 Pokemon that were in the catalogue at the time. And you could still see models of the others, but they just they didn't have the animation to take part in the battles. And because of how long it was taking Pokemon to take off overseas, it just never got released outside. But then, 1999, they announced Pocket Monster Stadium 2, aka Pokemon Stadium, because Pocket Monster Stadium 2 got released outside of... It's a Final Fantasy situation again, where the numbering becomes different depending on where you are in the world. So that means that even until this day, Pokemon Stadium has a one-number differentiator between Japan and the rest of the world. I... I mean, I love the Pokemon Snap is in this. Pokemon Stadium is certainly one thing because we're not going to get that for a couple of years. But like Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Snap is like a legendary game at this point. It's the game that I remember people were desperate to see converted to the Wii U or you know to the Wii or whatever it was. They wanted that on the virtual store. Give us Pokemon Snap. And it sort of became a bit of a running meme that people wanted to have Pokemon Snap because they had nostalgic memories from it as a kid. But like Dom here is just, you said earlier, he's just taking the piss. Pokemon Snap. Since the product Pocket Monster Snap is bonkers. It's a kind of Pocket Monster Safari thing in which you wander around a virtual landscape populated by monsters and uh, take pictures of them. Pokemon Snap. He is essentially saying, what a sh game what a game for shit idiots and it's mad to think and he would have had no idea either how big this thing was about to become i mean what strikes me as crazy is pokemon snap did obviously get released outside of japan it came out in japan in march of 1999 so we're still quite a ways off because obviously they're also going to shift from 64dd to a cartridge system america got it in july of that year we did not get it until September of the year 2000. Yeah, it's a, we're years and years off yet. I mean, it's, that's two news items on this episode of games that are 
coming out next year that won't reach our shelves until 2000. But you mentioned the Wii. It did get re-released for the Wii's virtual console in December 2007, the Wii U in 2016, and I can go and play it right now on my Nintendo Switch as part of the online expansion pack because it came out June 2022. This is a great feature. I mean, the 64DD stuff is is fascinating because I think the 64DD in of itself is fascinating. But I, uh, my jaw was on the floor when I saw Pokemon because I never thought we would see Pokemon in our Games Master timeline. Yeah, like, obviously, you know, we've, I've seen these episodes and this is just something I'd forgotten happens. But we do get to see Pokemon here. And it's proper Pokemon. It's N64 Pokemon. We see clips of red and blue. It's, it is here. And it is something that Dom takes the piss out of with no idea that it's about to become one of the, the, the biggest thing in the UK. There's a bit of a running gag on the, the YouTube channels that I work for that I'm not a Pokemon fan. And it's less that I'm not a fan of them. It's just I've never played the games. And people kind of can't fathom that because I was a child in the late 90s and early 2000s, how did I never play a Pokemon game? And the answer to that is, is relatively simple, is that when these games came out in 1999, I was in year eight, and Pokemon was something that the year sevens were into. Oh, those year sevens. Well, exactly, yeah. You can't... Scum. You cannot be into something that the year sevens are into because the year sevens are kids. We're year eights now. We're becoming young adults. So we've got to be into our cool things like Sonic the Hedgehog. But Pokemon's lame, because the Year 7s are into that. They've got all their cards and whatnot. We've got cool cards, because we play Magic the Gathering. So I... Yeah, don't pull that face. I was cool. So I never played a Pokemon game. Never had red or blue or yellow or green for my Game Boy. And I never got into Pokemon. To this day, have never played a Pokemon game. The closest I've come to playing Pokemon games is playing as Pokemon in Super Smash Brothers. I played a whole load of Pokemon Pinball on oh, the Game yeah. Boy Color. That was that was fun. I have played the Pokemon games, and I actually like uh, the Pokemon games. It's just a time thing. It's annoying because there were some of the games I would have loved to have played on the Switch, particularly the one that was kind of basically based in London. I'm just like, oh, that looks fun, because that's like london in the pokemon world like i saw in that there detective pikachu which was filmed just around the corner from where i worked at the time but but yeah it's just purely on the time and it but it is i still remember watching the cartoon because i had to watch the cartoon that guy's got the same name as me luke i don't know if you noticed (laughs) never have i been so glad for not having a fad occur while i was at school because fuck me that would have been unbearable yeah it's bad enough now I still get people making jokes like that now, like that shit hasn't been happening for the past 20 odd years. Yeah. Like they're the first pricks to think of it. Apologize if any of you people listening have made those jokes, but yeah, really pack it in. I heard it. I went to a costume party in the mid 2000s as a cross between Evil Dead Ash and Pokemon Ash. And I had a zombie Pikachu on my shoulder. I'd basically gotten a cheap, like fairground Pikachu plushie tipexed out the eyes and put red marker pen around them so it looked like a deadite pikachu sadly no pictures exist but i had fun with it uh, i empathize as well uh because uh you'd be amazed the amount of people that have said to me 
I am your father. Do you know what? That is genuinely... It, it genuinely, I don't think, has ever occurred to me to make a Star Wars joke about your name. I yeah. don't think I've ever done it, have I? No, you haven't. But, I, I, you know, I've a lot of people have in the past. You watch. Now I'm going to do it. And it won't even be to be mean. It will just be because you've planted the seed in my head now, Luke. You've turned me to the dark side. <laughs> there it is. That was just a Star Wars joke. That wasn't a joke about your <laughs> no, name. That, I haven't gone there yet. It's just the start of it, though. This is how it begins. It leads to anger. <laughs> Uh, just a last note on Pokemon Snap. It was a reskin in itself. It started off as a game called Jack and Beans, which was kind of named after uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. And development kind of didn't quite go where they were wanting it to. I don't think they were quite sure how they were going to sell it. And then Pokemon took off and it's like, well, let's rerun the fun. Let's reskin that one. And boom, Pokemon Snap was born. But also very, very cool in here, not only to see Pokemon Snap, not only see Pokemon Stadium, but also to see the transfer plugin for the Nintendo 64 controllers. They they worked with a number of games, but mainly they were Pokemon. Yeah, it's a Pokemon peripheral, really. This is an all-timer feature because like, it really did take me by surprise. The Double D will be released in Japan in March, and don't be put off by the weird titles. They're mad over there. We think with its unparalleled potential for truly interactive gaming, the Double D could well be the beginning of something huge. But anyway, don't worry about those weird titles, Luke, eh? <laughs> exactly, I, I mean, yeah. the 64DD will have lots of sensible titles when it's released over here at some point in the future. I mean, I'm still waiting. This is going to be the beginning of something huge. In some ways, it was huge mistakes. and uh, But with a huge franchise, it's just not the one that Dom thinks is going to be the hugest franchise from this feature. It, it, there have been a few moments in Games Master history where they have either backed the wrong horse or disparaged the wrong horse. And in this case, I think they did both. We've now completed four Games Masters. Mathematicians out there will realise that means we've got six left. Six weeks until the light entertainment output of Britain becomes dodgier than buying a left-handed screwdriver from a used car salesman sitting in the back of a lorry. Good night. Well, Ash, there we are. It's episode four is done. Just six weeks left of Games Master being on TV. And then, I guess we'll just have to go back to our hearts and fuck so hard a war breaks out. See, I just don't get what's wrong with you, Luke. He's clearly just moved on to the next volume of his sound effect library that he bought from the radio gig. I do apologise. My mistake. I just, I, I, I think you've got a dirty mind. This show has done terrible things to my mind. It's warped my fragile little mind, as Eric Cartman uh, once said. But I think that is going to wrap it up for this episode, Ash. Episode four, we have got six left. Technically, we've only got five left because the 10th episode is something a little bit different. But sticking with four, what did you make of it? We've still got five to go, but I, I it's going to be tough to beat this episode. Yeah. But this way, even the clangers... And by clangers, I and by clangers, I mean Mortal Kombat Annihilation and Alien Resurrection, the game. They were great to see, and they were hella fun to discuss with you. I mean, that's how good it was. I used the word hella, and I'm north of forty. I also, it is. It's a brilliant in context episode because yeah, you're right. There are the clangers in there of Alien Resurrection, the video game, and mk annihilation but also they didn't know that more combat annihilation was going to be bad or that alien resurrection wouldn't come out until the year 2000 as far as they were aware 
the, one of them was coming out next year and it's ace and the other one's coming out next year and it's going to be as good as the Die Hard game. And it's definitely going to be better than any of that pocket monster nonsense <laughs> coming out of Japan. It is oh, a, the Japanity. It's such a great episode. Like, I am in 100% agreement with you that I I mean, I don't want to say this, this series has peaked, but this is a top tier episode. Like an absolute all-timer episode. Even the Top Skater Challenge, which you might say like, ah, you know, it's got its flaws because the three of them weren't particularly great interviewees. They weren't great contestants. It has a fun story though, because it's got a really nice progression. One of them sets a score, the other one beats that score, and then the third person absolutely annihilates that score. And I totally get what they were going for with Frank. It just does not land. But even so, it's still a very fun challenge. And Dom carries the commentary remarkably. He really does. And I think from the football challenge onwards, that it doesn't put a foot wrong. I also think it's a very good... Like, Quake 64 is the only real, like, dud within there. And that's because there's just not a lot to say about Quake 64. But everything else, I think, is just, it's a home run episode. It's, it's the complete package. All it's missing... Oh, can you imagine if they'd grafted the reviews on from last week. Yes, absolutely. Like, like, just made the episode run a bit long because you need that 64DD feature in there. But, oh, grafted those reviews on. This would be the perfect episode. We wouldn't need to do the next six episodes because it's like, no, we're done. We've peaked here. This is definitely a 90% plus episode for me. Uh, me too as well. To show you, or to kind of explain how great of an episode this is and how much fun Ash and I have had with this episode, we are exhausted. And it is currently 11pm and we are both very, very tired. And we've been recording for nearly two hours and 15 minutes. I could honestly talk about this episode for another half an hour. I've got so many notes we didn't use. I know. I've got like tons and tons of things to talk about, but we just, there's too much to go into on this episode. And pretty much all of it is just good and great. I mean, I was still going down rabbit holes about the skateboarding stuff and I stopped <laughs> whilst making notes because I'm just like, there's no way we're ever going to go into this. It's just not going to happen. But yeah, where do I sit score-wise? Because it's in the 90s and I thought I was about 92, 93, but then I've talked about it with you. Yeah. And suddenly... I, I'm higher than that. I'm, I was like mid-90s, but I'm actually higher than mid-90s. Am I going to go for 97? I had 97 written down. Legit, I think this is one of the best episodes this show's ever done. It's joyous, it's good-hearted, it's got great banter. Everyone's having a good time, apart from possibly the skaters, but they're just being weird. If, if you want to show one episode of Games Master Series 7 to someone, this is probably, at this point the one and you can even show it with the knowledge that dominic gets it amazingly wrong about pokemon because that in itself is great content this is the bit that i'm going to be showing my work colleagues like who are huge pokemon fans to be like lads here is what was on the most ep recent episode of games master i had to review this is as good as the macho man segment <laughs> it is yeah i haven't been this excited to show uh, some colleagues of mine something from games master since that Macho Man challenge in Series 3. But yeah, 97% for me all the way. Loved it. We're going to get comments on that score. I think at least some people are going to go, are you fucking high? <laughs> and the answer is 
not as high as the skateboarders. But that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media at underconsolepod on Twitter, at under.console on Instagram, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to give us some feedback in real time, if you want to chat with us, chat with other listeners, discuss with them how right or wrong we may have got this episode, you can do so over on our Discord, details of which can be found on social media and in the show notes. And you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod where you will get access to UCP Extra and our monthly community show Under Console Nation. At the £5 level, you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad-free. But at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what is that? Well, at the £10 level, they get our Patreon supporters pack, which contains a glittering golden joystick waggler mug stuffed with sweeties, badges, trading cards, stickers, all sorts of goodies. And you know, Luke, if I die before I wake, at least in heaven, I can skate. Because right now on Earth, I can't do jack, except go down the post office with a bunch of boxes containing glittery mugs. And a shout out to those £10 backers. Zach Zanderthal, William Tom, The Amazing Cliff, Super Sexy David Fisher, Simon Salinas, Sean Sarah, aka Pink Lithium, Richard Downer, Retro Fun for Everyone, Reese. Phil, Nick, Misha, Matty Boo, Mark, Link, Liam, Kylie, Kevin, Joe Trigg, Joe Mitchell, Joe McGonagall, Jamie, Ian Williams, Ian Roberts, I am Cheadle, Harriet Manga Girl, Gordon Dempster, Gordon Brands, Gordon Aitken, David White, David Palmer, Colin, Chrissy Two Sticks, Chris, Arcadia Wild Bill, Andy, Andrew Cummings, Andrew Greenwood, Alexis, Adam Warrington, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Good night. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.